It's the Next Level Physicians podcast with Dr. Maisha, empowering doctors and medical professionals to thrive outside the box. Dropping new episodes every Monday so you can start your week thriving right. All right. Welcome back, y'all. This is Dr. Maisha with Physicians Thriving Outside the Box, Next Level Physicians Thriving Outside the Box. And for this episode, I have one of my favorite docs joining us today. He doesn't know this, I don't think, but he's like my virtual mentor. <laughs> I've been following for ages. And I'll tell you why. We're Today we're talking about you know, wealth, income beyond um, Wall Street. And this doc, Dr. Eric Tate, is a practicing internist and the president of Vernonville Asset Management, whose mission in his work is to help other physicians gain financial independence and give them the resources they need in other areas to live their best lives. So I am so excited that he agreed because, you know, Eric is big time, okay? <laughs> so this is an honor and a privilege to have Dr. Tate on. So um, thank you for joining us. I really, you know, first, I want to ask, because I, I mean, I know you, I want to ask you to sort of give the audience your story. Like, how did you come to, to do what you do? Got it. Yeah, I'll do that. And I, I'm so big time, I, I, as I sit here recording in, the front, in my front bedroom, right? <laughs> That's how big time I am. I think I'm in my um, home too now. <laughs> yeah. So, so my story, um, in a nutshell, and we'll, I'll try to keep it brief, but just hit the high points from that standpoint. So, um, for me, I knew I wanted to be a physician when when I was a young child. Um, my uncle was a physician. I have other people in my mother's side of my family who were physicians. So, um, we always tend to have some one person that each generation who's going to be the doc, and I guess that was me. Uh, but I also had an interest in entrepreneurship. So I always had a um, a business of some kind, whether it was shoveling snow, whether it was handyman services, all those types of things growing up. In college, I had, in, my roommate and I had a, had a store. We sold cold cuts. I cut hair. Um, in med school, I threw parties. Um, oh, yeah. It's, it, we're in homecoming season, and if you, if you were to cast me on, on the yard, there are people who still call us the sandwich men because oh. we're, we're still friends. So um, in med school, I, we, we, we threw parties. Um, and then when I got out of residency, well, so I ended up going to business school and medical school dual degree program. So that was one of the first kind of planned um, execution points of kind of my journey to say, okay, I'm going to be doing both of these things. Mm -hmm. And so I chose the medical school I went to because they were setting up an MD MBA program at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I was a college sophomore. Mm -hmm. um, so was, there was a little bit of pre-planning when it came to that. And then um, in business school, I decided I didn't want my money in Wall Street. So ultimately what I did was look for different ways to make money, um, whether it be franchising, operating businesses, things of that nature. But I realized that I really wanted to be a physician and was going to practice for at least probably 10 to 15 years. And so I couldn't do anything that was going to require me to spend a ton of my time, my physical time mm -hmm. tending to it. And so if you look at it, there are two ways people get wealthy at a fairly early age. It's either owning a non-service based business mm -hmm. or real estate. So I just, plowed personally into the real estate side mm -hmm. um, initially. And so that's kind of where we are now is the base of kind of my own investment portfolio and the um, investment firm tends to be hard assets to generate cash flow so that people can work less, um, not necessarily give up 
their profession, uh, but also don't feel like they're trapped completely in the profession. Yeah, yeah, I got that. You know, um, one of the one of the things I wonder is, is this something that you learned? Like, was this learned from your parents? Did your parents give you this foundation? Or is this something that you had a vision for yourself? Because I know myself, I, I didn't have the um, upbringing knowledge of investment and, and, you know, like this type of money management, real estate. We didn't talk about that kind of thing in our household. And, you know, consequently, my entry into this world has been a little bit later. And I, you know, I know better late than never, but at the same time, I wonder people like you who, um, who have gotten into this early, like, is this something that was, was um, shown to you or is it something that you just had a vision like and, and you just went for it? Interesting. So it's actually both. Mm. So and I, I'm going to try to take a second to explain. My parents are the prototypical middle-class mentality parents. Mm. They're both fairly frugal uh, and that's a nice term I'm going to use. Um, <laughs> you know, they did the typical 401k IRA stuff, mm-hmm. um, but my mother did inherit rental property. Now, we were living in New York. This was in Savannah, Georgia. We didn't see it, but we kind of knew it was there. Mm-hmm. And then my dad attempted to, well, he did buy a, an apartment building in Manhattan when I was in junior high school or so, mm-hmm. and it literally kicked his tail, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we didn't make any money doing that. And so I didn't see kind of real estate and those kind of alternative types of, and I hate the word alternative, but we'll call it that for now, types of investments necessarily work well Mm-hmm. In my household, um, my parents, again, are very, very traditional. My mother has, has agita to this day that I'm not an everyday practicing physician, right? Um, so it was there, but it was not sit, like the way I sit and teach my children, what we do was never, that was not done to me. What, what I was lucky in that Robert Kiyosaki was writing Rich Dad, Poor Dad when mm-hmm. I was a first year med student. And my college roommate called me and said, dude, the things we've been talking about that we were trying to do, mm-hmm. hey, this book makes it very clear as to why it sh- you should be doing it. Yeah. And so literally just like you talk, call me kind of a virtual mentor, I, I would call Robert Kiyosaki a, a virtual mentor for me as well. Mm-hmm. And so it really was just off the principles of kind of what he wrote is how I structured my life. Mm-hmm. And so you don't necessarily have to have it in your household, but someone has to introduce new ideas to you for you to be able to absorb them and then take actual action. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and that's so great. So talk about like, you talked, you said, I don't, I didn't want to invest in wall street. And what was the, what was the reason that you, that, you know, that you didn't want to invest in wall street and why you chose real estate as an option? Like what, what is this? I mean, I, I, I'll give the politically correct answer. Um, <laughs> and that is the, the great thing about business school is that it teaches you how to actually value businesses, mm. to actually get a good understanding of, okay, if I give a dollar to Coca-Cola, they're going to make some sugar syrup, and then hopefully they're going to sell it to some bottlers, and then hopefully we're going to get five to 10 cents back every year from that, from a dividend standpoint. Mm-hmm. And maybe the price of the company will go up or down depending on what's happening. Mm-hmm. The thing that I could never figure out is why would the price of the company fluctuate because of how people felt? Either the thing is making money or it's not making money, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If it's making money and that, that money is somehow finding its way back to the people who own the company, mm-hmm. then why would these, why, why, why would these prices, why would my capital fluctuate based upon other people's feelings? Mm-hmm. And that made no logical sense to me. 
Um, and so I just couldn't be at the whim of other people's feelings, other people wanting to manipulate things and move money around to kind of front and front run is just you buy and sell before other people can buy and sell and you get the benefit of the price movement. I didn't want to be, um, I didn't want our, our hard earned capital be held to that kind of thing. Mm. The other thing is we wanted a real return immediately. We were like, dude, we work every day. Why isn't our investment capital working for us as well? Why is my, why is my life not getting better with the excess capital that I have? Why would I put it away in some far off account that I can hope in the future will be worth more than it is today? Right. And essentially what are dollars which are getting devalued anyway? And so for me, it just, it just was, it seemed backwards. It seemed what was being taught as normal was back. So you're going to work all these years, scrimp and save, put this money away, that you, and then 30 years from now, you're going to hope to be able to turn that money into income so you can live off of. And I said, mm, why not buy the income now? <laughs> I can work less now, still make the same amount of money now, and live a better life now, right? <laughs> so to me, it just never made sense the way kind of Wall Street set people up. Uh, until you understand the business model. And once you understand the business model of they make money holding your money, mm-hmm. then they want to hold your money as long as possible. When you are buying your own assets, there's nobody making money. You're making your money. There's no middle person involved. There's no, you know, you know very immediately why it should be going up or going down in price. You, sh- you know very immediately whether or not you're getting paid or not, right? right? So, you know, that whole set it and forget it kind of, I would argue, lulls us into a false sense of security that what's there is what's real Mm. and what's there is going to always be there. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily the case. So does that mean that we shouldn't invest in the market? Oh, I didn't say that. No, 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 no. See, the difference is this. I went out there and got the skill sets personally to know how to make money doing something else. Mm -hmm. If you do not have that, putting your money in those tax deferred places is what you should do. Mm-hmm. Right. If you don't have an alternative way that you can consistently and reliably understand what you're invested in and what it should do for you, then you should absolutely do it. Mm-hmm. But if you want to learn and it doesn't take very long, I mean, we're, we're all physicians, right? We know how to take knowledge in and apply it. Mm-hmm. If you want to learn how you can do it other ways, mm-hmm. you can learn it. You don't necessarily have to be the person who does it, yeah. but you at least understand what other people are doing. Right. 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 And so the difference with me was I said, okay, cool. I'm going to do this for myself. Mm-hmm. Then I had physician colleagues who came and said, Hey, you know, we want to do this with you. I'm like, um, uh, I don't know about that. Is that legal? <laughs> Went to the securities attorney. Right. They said, yeah, that's perfectly legal. Yeah. Here's the paperwork you do. Then you tell them you're going to lose all their money. And if they still invest with you, then go forward and, and move forward and do it. Right. <laughs> right. But we took the tack that was a little different. We said, okay, cool. We don't want uneducated investors just throwing money at us. Mm-hmm. We said, hey, we're going to create all of these resources so you can learn the process. So you're making an affirmative, conscious, intentional decision to say, hey, I want to put my money here because I expect this, this, and this to happen. Mm-hmm. I think most people invest with automaticity right. with no intentional, conscious thought behind it. They do it because other people do it, mm-hmm. not because they understand exactly what they're doing mm-hmm. or what they expect to get out of it long term besides that, well, I hope it's worth more than what I put in initially. Right. So like I hear like you got to have a strat- an intention and a strategy and, and before you start to invest and then educate yourself so that you know a little bit about what's going on, if, especially if you're outsourcing actually doing it yourself. Exactly. Well, think about it. Most people are outsourcing doing it themselves now, right? right. They're not 
So do, you know, the things that I do is no different than what you're already doing, right? Mm -hmm. We put groups of people together to go buy stuff. Right. You're putting your money with groups of other people to go buy stuff. Yep. The only difference is really liquidity, right? Mm -hmm. One, you can press a button and try to sell it immediately. Ours, you don't have that same kind of liquidity. Right. But in the end, mechanically, it's the same exact thing. Mm -hmm. I'm asking people to do, whether they invest with me or not, it, it, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. What I'm asking people to do is to ask themselves, what do I want my capital to do for me today, mm -hmm. tomorrow, mm -hmm. and into the future? Yes. Right? Definitely. And so that way you are intentionally setting up a portfolio that serves you. Mm -hmm. Because let's be realistic. You're giving up essentially your soul, your life, your essence to work for this money. Mm -hmm. Right? You've sacrificed a certain amount of everything to do all these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And so what is your expectation of what you've given away to come back to you? Right. That's the real question that we ask. Yeah, I got that. So when we talk about real estate, cause you know, I want to like, you know, <laughs> my question, um, personally, which I'm sure a lot of other people who have been interested in investing in real estate is it seems so complicated to me. It seems like overwhelming, complicated, like there's just all of this to, to kind of manage with real estate. How, how does one, and, and, I'm, and I'm specifically asking like for me, like how does someone like me who hasn't taken that step yet, like how do we know what to do to get into it? How does that happen? And you know, you talk, talk a little bit about um, commercial versus residential and the benefits and, and sort of risks around that. Man, we could have, we could have an eight-hour podcast on. I on know. Just that I stuff know. Right there. We should do a crossover. All right, let me, <laughs> let me let me. So let me try to do this quickly and in in sections. So the okay. first thing, let's demystify real estate. So I'm gonna, yes. I'm gonna try to take thirty seconds to a minute to do that. Okay. All real estate is is you renting time to other people. Hmm. Let's just say that again. That's it. You're renting time of an asset that you own to other people. Yeah. Let's just stop there. Mm -hmm. Next, you have to decide who do I want to rent time too, mm -hmm. right? Do I want to rent it to people, vacationers, businesses? Mm -hmm. See what I'm saying? So now saying. you're like, okay, cool. I'm renting time to people. Mm -hmm. That will determine kind of where those things are. Then the next question is, can the people I want to rent time to afford to pay me? Yeah, right? I got it. So can these people afford to pay me, mm -hmm. right? If you're going to play with Section 8 people, then yes, they can because the government is paying. Mm -hmm. If you're going to pay with high-end luxury homes, well, how many of those people can actually afford to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So now you're like, okay, whose pocket, really crudely, it's like, whose pocket are you in? Mm -hmm. This is just like serfs and lords and vassals, right? You are the landlord. <laughs> the serf is going to pay you one-third to one-fourth of their income, their crops, whatever, for the use of your asset. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's what I'm saying. We can demystify all this stuff because you're just trying to figure out whose income stream you're going to take a piece of. Mm. And the thing to ask yourself is what's the durability of that income? Meaning are these people going to have jobs or all these businesses going to have customers in the future? Mm -hmm. Or like we have farmland, right? We have coffee plantations. Do people want to keep drinking coffee over the next <laughs> 50 years? I would argue probably yes. Right. Since they've been doing it for millennia. Right. 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 And so what I want people to understand is this stuff is not complicated and it ends up being common sense when you know the right questions to ask. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now the next thing that I take investors through is how active do you want to be in your ownership of real estate? Mm -hmm. Because let's be clear. Most people really want the benefits of real estate. They don't want to be landlords. 
And so now the question gets to be, what level of control freak are you? Mm-hmm. How much do you want to be in control? And then you have to ask yourself the next question. The more control you have, you have to understand the more time you have to give to it. Right. What in your life are you about to give up to become an expert in doing this particular thing? Mm-hmm. Right? Because real estate isn't complicated, but it is counterintuitive. So things you think you should do, you really shouldn't do and vice versa. (laughs) And someone has to teach you that and you have to go learn that. And then you, at some point, that has to fit into your life somewhere where something else is not going to fit, whether that's time with your kids, vacationing, hobbying, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. Nothing's wrong with that. I started that way. We have two dozen single family homes that I still personally have bought, managed and everything, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a part of my life that is carved out for that. Now, it ain't more than about four or five hours a month because I went and learned how to do this. But I had to, at some point, go and learn how to do this, right? So it took two or three years to kind of really get good at it. Mm-hmm. Are you willing to do that? Mm-hmm. If you're not, you're like, you know what? Mm, no, nah, I don't really want to do all that, but I want to own these assets. Then you have to decide, okay, cool. Who am I going to do it with? Mm-hmm. What does that look like right. from that standpoint? And so that's just kind of a quick overview of the process we walk people through yeah. to get a baseline understanding. Because in the end, it's all about choice. Yeah. using how you want to spend your time. Because there's nothing in investing in real estate that's complicated. It's just you have to dedicate the time to doing it. And then lastly, commercial versus residential. Um, and I did a whole webinar on that. And it's, again, it's a choice situation, right? It's mm-hmm. time versus money in many ways. Mm-hmm. And commercial is, I would argue, is where the big boys and girls of real estate live mm-hmm. because it is the least time intensive. But it requires, if you have vacancy, can be the longest vacancy. Mm. And so while, if we look at kind of Maslow's hierarchy, right? Mm -hmm. Primary residential real estate is on the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy. Mm -hmm. So people are always going to need it. So as long as you're in an area with population growth and those kinds of things, people are always going to want to use what you have. Once you move to commercial, and here's a little nuance, and and this is a little trick I'm about to give your, your listeners. If they pay attention, I'm about to give them the trick of commercial real estate. If you can figure out a way to be in commercial real estate that is satisfying people's Maslow's bottom hierarchy, Mm. you have a much better chance of being successful. Mm. Right? So commercial can be more risky than residential, but you can lessen the risk by making sure that the businesses that cater to people are around those bottom rung needs. Mm -hmm. Right? So that's a higher level way to think about it, but there's really no, you know, the easiest way to break down is commercial, more money, you're going to need to probably do it in groups, higher vacancy, longer vacancy period. But if you're full, the money is, is much more passive. Mm-hmm. Residential, it's a, it's a need. It usually requires much more management, whether you're doing it or a management group you hire. Mm-hmm. If you hire a management group, it's going to cut into your cash flow. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're probably not going to run out of people who are going to use that asset. And so you just have to decide kind of how you want to base your portfolio and you can do all of them, right? You don't, you're not limited to doing one versus the other. The only thing I would say is you have to choose your time because your time is going to determine more than anything else, what you want to be doing. Yeah. I, I love the way you broke that down. It really just makes it so clear, you know, like just asking the right questions, knowing your sort of investment personality or your real estate personality will lead you, and of course, what you can take from a financial standpoint as well, will lead you into the right area in which to first get started investing. 
Exactly. Um, cause that, because that will take you down where you need to go learn, right? That's right. just taking you the step of, okay, I need to go learn this. Or, mm-hmm. hey, I need to talk to people who are doing this who can teach me what I need to know to at least be a knowledgeable investor to invest with them, right? Yes. I don't ever want people to go out there and just try to learn everything. Just learn the stuff that's important to what you want to own. Mm-hmm. You don't have to know the universe. You just have to know what it is you want to own based upon your investment philosophy. Yeah. So, so one of the things I, you know, one of the things I want to ask you about, because you said in commercial real estate, you have to invest in groups. So talk to uh, the listeners a little bit about um, this syndication uh, real estate investment, because that's what you yep. do, right? That's part of what you do. Absolutely. So we're going, we're going, we're going to put my bias and my, um, what's the best way to say this? Uh, well, before that, I would say, if you have enough money, you can buy commercial on your own. So I don't want to say that because you can buy small commercial centers. You can, mm-hmm. if, if you have enough money, you can do it, right? Mm-hmm. But when you start usually getting up to the 15, $20 million range, chances are you're not going to want to concentrate that much of your own personal portfolio in one asset, mm-hmm. very likely. So that's why we say most people do it in that way. So, oh, what I meant to say is my conflict of interest. So yes, so everyone listening, <laughs> be clear. This is what I do. So you're more than happy to join me, but be clear. I'm telling you from the perspective of someone who does this, right? Yes. yes. And now, I'm gonna now I got my conflicts out. I've, I've given my conflict statement. Look, so, I'm going to join him too. All those, all syndications are people grouping their money together to go buy something. It's mm-hmm. the same thing as your mutual fund. The only difference is liquidity, right? Mm-hmm. With a mutual fund, you can sell it tomorrow with kind of real estate syndications. You're in it for three to five to seven to 10 years. Mm-hmm. And you'll know on the front end, the person putting the project together who's called a syndicator or a promoter or, or the general partner will tell you, hey, we're probably going to be in this from three to five years. Okay. Your money's tied up. Unless there's super extenuating circumstances, don't even think about it, right? Think about, I tell people, think about it like your 401k or IRA. Mm-hmm. It said it and forget it. You can't, you know, we'll send you distributions, we'll send you updates, but there's no pulling the money back out, right? Mm-hmm. There, there are some exceptions, but they'd have to be like monumental exceptions from that standpoint. And so all it is is group investing. It's no more complicated than that. And saying, and the great thing about it for us is you go out there with single family homes, you're, you're competing with every other group, every other investor, some hedge funds for those smaller assets. Mm-hmm. Once you get to assets above five, $10 million, they're usually too small for the big players and they're too big for the mom and pop players. Mm-hmm. So you can still get very good projects that generate, good cash flows almost from day one, depending on what the project is. Mm-hmm. And you're playing at a different level because by grouping together, you get out of kind of the, the, the milieu of every emotional person down there trying to, to buy a single family home or something or a condo or something like that. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what syndications are on a very high superficial level. Yeah. It's just group investing. So then now you and I had this conversation um, one day I, I said, you know, I think I mentioned something like crowdfunding, investing, mm-hmm. commercial versus, and, and you said, you corrected me, you said syndication. Can you say a little bit about the difference between the two? So crowdfunding is a syndication. So remember, just a syndication is a grouping of money to go buy something. Mm-hmm. In crowdfunding, they group money to go buy something as well. But what they do is they do it at a, usually at a much lower price point. Mm-hmm. So the easy way to, I think to look at it, I think I broke it down for you this way is if you're below $20,000, mm-hmm. chances are you're going to be in a crowdfunding portal to, to invest. If you want to invest in hotels, apartments, mm-hmm. larger things like that. Mm-hmm. If you've got 20 to 50,000, there are some syndications that will allow you in mm-hmm. at 50,000. You can 
getting probably 70% of the syndications that are out there. Mm-hmm. At 100,000, you can get in probably 90 to 95%. Mm-hmm. And at 250,000, you can pretty much get into any syndication you want and even get into some private equity syndications that are on kind of institutional platforms. Mm. And so they're all syndications. They're all just people grouping money together to go buy stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just the, 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 the point level and then your ability to touch the person who is putting the project together. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is this. If you're doing crowdfunding, you're going through a portal, usually online. You're not going to really talk to the sponsor, the person who's putting it together. You're, you may be able to watch a presentation that they have or read their prospectus, but chances are you're not emailing them, you're not calling them. Mm-hmm. And the private syndications like we do, you know, folks call me, folks get email me, either me or my assistant, folks have my cell phone. It's one of those things where you have good for good or for bad, you have direct <laughs> contact with the syndicator. You're right. going you're gonna to be talking to them. Um, I won't say regularly, but you have access to them. Mm-hmm. When you get into the, to, the, um, to the institutional ones, you're not talking to those guys either. So mm-hmm. you're just going to be a cog in a machine. You're just kind of putting your money in and going from there. You're not going to be on the cell phone with, with, uh, with the person who's putting the project together. Mm-hmm. So there's an access level difference as well as, a, a, um, in, as a, an investment level difference. Mm. Wow. So this has been super informative. We, I mean, okay, so you, I'm going to hit some high points and if I miss them, you know, bring me, bring it back. So it's, it's, you know, number one, um, you got to educate yourself. You got to ask the right questions of yourself to know what type of investment is best for you. And especially going into real estate, what type of real estate investment is for you like what is your real estate and what is your real estate investment personality or what is your investment personality period so that that leads you down the path of what you need to learn and then you know like looking at whose money whose pocket do you want to be in you know from a standpoint of real estate investment demystifying it like just completely demystifying this process like it's not that hard and even like i feel a little bit more confident like oh yeah, maybe I could do this. Now, I'm telling you, 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 you know my goal. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to, yep. this, guy, this guy right here. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so I just really want to thank you because I feel like this is such valuable conversation, um, not only for myself, but the listeners are going to get so much out of it and to, to really have them know that going into real estate as an investment option and, and building that passive income is completely possible. Um, so what I want you to tell our listeners, as always, I want to know how they can find you. Okay. Um, Google actually is your friend. <laughs> I mean, I'm, 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 I'm decently Googleable, um, but directly. Um, so if we're talking about the, so there's two different kinds of, of, of storefronts we have in terms of brands we have out there. Mm-hmm. One is the physician's road, mm-hmm. the physician's road.com. Um, just like physician on a path. That's where we have all of our kind of um, resources, our podcast. And, and on the podcast, we don't talk about any of our particular investments per se. We, it's just general information around five different pathways, wealth, practice, health, um, relationships, and personal development. And so we have different guests around those pathways um, from that standpoint. On the investment side, um, our company is called Vernonville Asset Management, and it's just vernonville.com. I will spell it. V is in Victor, E is in Eric, R is in Robert, N is in Nancy, O is in Octagon, N is in Nancy, V is in Victor, I is in Indigo, L is in Larry, L is in Larry, E is in Eric, 
vernonville.com. So vernonville.com. Um, and then you can just email me at eric, E-R-I-C, at vernonville.com. It directly comes to me. Awesome. And we'll be sure to include all this in the show notes for you guys so that, you know, you can, we'll have clickable links. So you can yeah, actually- Clickable links make life so much easier. Yes, they do, don't they? Well, thank you so much once again, um, Dr. Tate, for coming on and giving all of your knowledge and wisdom. I really, really appreciate it. And um, yeah, we'll look forward to uh, maybe having you on in the future even. Oh, I'm, I'm always open to that. And thank you so much for creating your podcast. I mean, we, we as physicians need to need to be in the space. We need to be speaking to each other. We need to be speaking to the public. And I'm so glad that you've added your voice to the mix um, as well. Thank you so much. All right. We will see you on the next episode, y'all. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Physicians podcast with Dr. Maisha. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn at Dr. Maisha or backslash Dr. Maisha on any of these platforms. Or if you want, you can listen directly through my website, www.drmaisha.com.